Hey, good morning again, and thank you for being with us. Thank you also to all those who are watching online. Be sure to drop us a comment, send us a prayer request. Just follow the instructions that you see on the screen and take part in the service as it's happening here on site at St. Mark. So, uh, one of the many things that we know as human beings is that there is, there is a large rule book. Uh, it's, it's called the unwritten rule book. And in this large unwritten rule book are thousands of things that functional adults agree to do and not to do so that we can all feel at home and be comfortable in society. And in this large unwritten rule book, there is a rather significant section entitled Things We Agree Not to Talk About When in Certain Settings. So for example, uh, if you have children, you have to teach your children that the dinner table is not the time to, to discuss disgusting things. You have to teach your children that it's not the time to talk about the gold that they found in their nose or the fact that uh, their classmate got sick at school that day. Uh, likewise, um, functional adults, they, they read the rule book, so to speak, and they understand that, that in polite company, you don't talk politics. Unless, of course, you want to be that guy. And unfortunately, there are a lot of those guys these days. Uh, also, uh, sports has certain things that you don't bring up. For example, uh, you don't mention trash cans to Astros fans. Too soon? All right, let, let's make fun of Cowboys fans instead. You don't mention to Cowboys fans that it's been 25 years since they've had a championship. You don't mention it. You don't mention it in polite company. You don't mention the fact that to see their highlights, you've got to turn to the history channel. You just don't bring it up. In polite society, functional society, we, we all realize that there are certain things you don't mention in certain settings. I have another example for you. It's generally understood that when you're at church, you don't raise your hand and ask the tough question. When you're at church, you don't admit that you've got doubts and deep struggles. When you're at church, you put on your best self. You don't show everybody your real self. That's one of the unwritten rules that a lot of people live by. This morning, we're continuing a teaching series called When Church is the Worst. And as I shared with you last week, uh, I may be biased, but I love the church. Like, I'm a, I'm a big local church guy for obvious reasons. I believe that the local church, apart from God's own son, is God's greatest gift to this world. The, the local church is the hope for a hurting world. I truly believe that. And yet, there are times when the local church steps on its own feet there are times when the church gets in its own way, when it stymies its own mission, when it, when it frustrates the people it's meant to serve, when it hurts the people it's meant to connect with and reach out to. And, and so in this short series, we're talking about that. And it's important for us to have this conversation as we as a church begin to slowly but surely reopen and welcome the world back onto our campus and, and into these four walls to worship with us in person. It's good for us to remember why we're here and how we can be the best church possible to the people who need the mission of the local church. And I would argue to you that the church is at its worst when it is not a safe place for people's questions. The church is its own worst enemy when people don't feel like they have the freedom to say, I'm struggling with this, or I'm doubting this, or I have a question about all of that. The church is at its worst when it's not a safe place for doubts, questions or for people to be honest about their difficulties. Now, now the reason uh, why this is, is really simple. Uh, why do people feel as though they can't raise their hand and say, here's what I struggle with? And, and the answer, you're going to kind of roll your eyes at this because it's always the answer for why there's a problem in the world, but the answer is, is simply sin. 
If you're new to the, the Christian faith, what we believe sin is, is, how can I put this? Um, sin is, the, sin is the, the flaw in the coding that we created. Uh, it, is the, it is the glitch in the human system that causes all sorts of problems. Uh, problems between us and God, and certainly, as you've seen in the news this week, problems between us and other human beings. But one of the things that this glitch in the system causes us to do, it causes us not only to, to frustrate our relationship with God and cause trouble in our relationship with others, but it causes us to feel as though we have to hide our troubles from God and hide our true self from others. We feel as though we can't, we can't be honest about the things we're struggling with. We can't admit to other people the questions that we have, the doubts that we're dealing with. No one wants to be found out as either not knowing enough or not doing the right things. No one wants to be dumb or deviant. No one. And so we feel as though we all have to hide behind our fig leaves, so to speak, and, and project confidence and capability to the rest of the world, lest the world find out that we're a fraud. And that keeps us from being honest, even in church, about the questions we have, the doubts that we're wrestling with, and the struggles in our lives. In 1978, a pair of American psychologists attempted to put a name to what human beings wrestle with in this arena. They called it imposter syndrome. And for these two psychologists, uh, imposter syndrome was, de was defined like this. It's a feeling of being a fraud that many human beings wrestle with at all times, especially in their areas of work, their callings in life, their various vocations. They feel as though, and they worry, that the world might discover that they are not as capable, as smart, as moral, as good as they know they should be, and as the world expects them to be. And so very often, human beings will walk around through life wondering and fearing if the rest of the world eventually is going to pull back the curtain and say, oh, I, I see the real you. You're not the good mother you want to be. You're not capable at your calling like you claim to be. You're faking it, and now we all know it. And everybody deals with this. Uh, they cited some examples. Maya Angelou. Uh, the celebrated poet and author. She's written 11 books. She's been nominated for a Pulitzer Prize and a Tony Award. She's won three Grammys. And yet she herself admitted at one point, she said, whenever I release a new publication, my first thought is this, this will be the one, the one where they discover that I've been running a scam the entire time. Of course, she hasn't been scamming, but that's what she feels. Uh, they also cite the reflections of several American presidents who, to a person, have all said there was a moment where they stood in the Oval Office by themselves alone for the first time, and they thought something along these lines, I hope no one figures out that I'm the one standing here. We worry about being found as a fraud. And that even seeps its way into the Christian faith, where people feel as though they can't show up to church honest about their doubts, honest about their questions, showing the real issues in their life because they don't want to be seen as one who doesn't have enough faith or someone who's trying to cause a whole bunch of trouble if they ask the tough question. And so even though they carry these things, if they come to church, uh, rather than walk to the front of the church at the end of the service and ask the pastor a really tough question about the sermon he preached, you walk out at the end of the service and you make eye contact with the pastor and you say, it was great, it was really good, it was so good, so good. 
And then when you sit down to the Bible study, if you're brave enough to go to the Bible study, rather than sit there and say, you know what, here's what I'm really wondering about, or here's what I'm really struggling with. When people ask you how you're doing, you say, fine, fine, busy, busy, but fine. Because we don't want to be seen as not having enough faith or being a fraud or trying to cause trouble. We feel like we hide. We all wonder if we're going to be found out as imposters, don't we? In the text we heard from Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is praying. And he's praying a prayer of thanks to the Father. He's praying a prayer of thanks for the community he is getting to build around this message that he's preaching of forgiveness and eternity. And listen to what he says once again. Matthew chapter 11, uh, starting at about verse, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things. He's talking about the gospel, the message of salvation. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus refers to those who gather around his message, who receive his message. He refers to them as little children. In Greek, the, the actual word is pronounced nepios, and it's quite literally translated toddler, a toddler. So Jesus says those who gather around him, who, who grasp this message, who form the church, who, who are bold enough, humble enough to, to meet him and to get to know him, they are toddlers. Now, now, why would Jesus choose to describe people who come close to him as toddlers? Why would he choose that word? Well, well, here's why. He wants us to read into it everything that there is to read into that word. What do we know about toddlers? Toddlers are cute, but they also don't know squat. And they also are kind of troublesome. So, so, the, so they're delightful to be around at times, but they're also ignorant and deviant. Oh, guess what? <laughs> Aren't we all? My son Jack, it's his sixth birthday today, and he is so excited. Uh, but, but Jack, when he was a toddler, he was no different than any other toddler. He was adorable, but he didn't know anything. He couldn't help me with my fantasy football team. He, he, the only things he knew how to do were like he could, he could sleep, he could eat, he could, he could torment our dog, and he knew how to steal my stuff. That's all he knew when he was a toddler. That's it. And, and so here's what Jesus is saying. That's who you are. And the people who receive the gospel, they're the ones who are humble enough and have had their eyes open to that fact. No one enters the kingdom. No one becomes a part of the local church. No one gathers around Jesus because of their ability. No one gathers around Jesus because of their resume. No one gathers around Jesus because they figured it out and now they are able to belong. People gather around Jesus because they know that they are nothing but nepios. They are toddlers. I may be adorable, but man, I know what I don't know and I am a whole lot of trouble for myself and others. That's who you are. That's who all of us are. And we enter into this family, this church, by recognizing that. Jesus continues. Let's pick up in, in Matthew chapter 11 uh, once again. He says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except for the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
So Jesus is making another point about this community. What matters in this community is not what you become, not what you've accomplished, not what you have, not what you can articulate in terms of theological knowledge or worldly success. What matters, the only thing that matters in this kingdom is knowing him. That's it. So, so you enter in as a toddler, weak and needy, and then when you enter in, if you enter in with a relationship with him, then you enter in at the top rung of the ladder. You enter in at the top of the mountain. You enter in having everything that there is to have in this kingdom. There's no hierarchy that we're all trying to climb. There's no path we're all trying to run and then we can compare ourselves against. When you enter into Jesus' family, you enter in weak and needy. And if you enter in in relationship with him, you have everything you need in this family. And here's why that's important. It's important because Jesus is trying to articulate to you and to me that he's creating a community of unparalleled equity, a community of mutual love and respect. What he's trying to communicate to you and me is that having a relationship is all that matters, which means if you and I are sitting in the same pew, if you and I are in the same church, if we're worshiping in the same service, be it online or in person, if we're all here gathered around Jesus, we are all the same. Because to gather around Jesus is to recognize that you're weak and needy and kind of cute, but that's all you've got going for you. And that you are in deep need of him, which means all of us are the same. Uh, the, the, the preacher in the front, the addict in the corner, the, the, the day trader who's rolling deep in cash, the day laborer who's got like two bucks to his name. If we're gathered around Jesus, we are exactly the same. And tell me what other institution that's true. Where if you enter in with Jesus, doesn't matter if you're sitting next to a king or a criminal. We're one. Because we're all just toddling our way through life. And we all know that we're nothing without him. Now, now all that being said, what that means then is that this, if all that's true, this has to be, this must be the perfect place to bring your doubts and your questions, your struggles, and your worries. Because again, it's not a community where we check resumes at the door. At least it shouldn't be. It's not a community where you can accomplish things and climb up some kind of ladder closer to Jesus. We're all the same by virtue of being around Jesus. Which means if you enter in and you are willing to admit that you're a toddler, so to speak, if you're willing to say, I've got this worry, I've got this fear, I've got this question, it's not going to disqualify you. People aren't or they shouldn't look at you and say, hey, you're not supposed to ask that. Or hey, 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 you're not supposed to struggle with that. It's not going to mean that you don't belong here. It's going to mean you are in precisely the right place if you bring your questions and your doubts and your difficulties and you're open about them here. You are in the right place. And you are better off as a follower of Jesus by bringing your questions and your doubts and your significant issues to this place and being open about those things. I ultimately believe, particularly when it comes to doubts, that you are stronger if you wrestle with them. You're much stronger, long run. If you dive into them, examine them, wrap your arms around them, talk about them, question. It, it, it's, it's similar to um, the fight against coronavirus, you could say. <laughs> Just go with me on this. Well, what the world needs right now are some antibodies, right? 
The, the antibodies are the defense that, that the human body creates so that it can fight off disease. Uh, we, we encounter the disease, and then our body rallies a defense, protects us against the disease, and then we're stronger in the future if we encounter it again because we've rallied this defense in the past, right? The Christian who wrestles with and encounters and faces their doubts is like the human body with antibodies. You, you confront that which could make you ill, you rally a defense, you get stronger, and the next time it attacks you, and there's always a next time, some tragedy occurs, some injustice in the headlines that rattles your cage and causes you to question everything you know about God, you already have a defense ready and you're stronger to face it. So face it today. Face it today. That's why you should bring your questions and talk about them and wrestle with them. You'll be stronger as a follower of Jesus. And even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here, you just got kind of dragged into this place or someone shared this online with you on Facebook and they're like, you really need to watch this. And so out of obligation, you're watching this right now. But you consider yourself an unbeliever. Maybe you're like, like an ardent unbeliever, like an angry atheist. Maybe that's you. I, I still think that you're better off wrestling with your doubts and your unbelief in this context than anywhere else. I mean, what do you have to lose? If you actually immerse yourself into this context and you bring your unbelief into this place, at the very least, you'll just get stronger in your unbelieving, um, in, in your unbelieving uh, core because you'll have actually been here and experienced this. Or, or you could actually come to faith in this place, and if you come to faith, you'll admit that you're better off having come to faith. So either way, I think you win. Uh, likewise, if you, are, if you are an ardent unbeliever, chances are that that intellectual honesty matters a lot to you. And I would say to you that, that in order to have intellectual integrity behind your unbelief, you need to come and bring your unbelief into this place. Because the reason you don't believe, the reason you are so filled with questions, the reason you are so filled with skepticism is because you have a whole bunch of lived experience. See, it's not just an intellectual game for an unbeliever. It is about lived experience that has conjured up certain emotions. You've lived, lived in a world that has caused you to question the existence of the divine and the goodness of a creator. You've lived there, and that stirred up all that unbelief for you. Now, in order to have intellectual integrity in your unbelief, you need to spend some time living here and see if all the things that you now don't believe in can stand up to it. Give yourself a lived experience here. I think you should show up here. You should watch online with us. You should, you should pray the prayers. I know you don't believe. Pray the prayers. Sing the songs. I get it. You don't believe. Pray the prayers. Sing the songs. Meet the people and see what happens and see if your unbelief can stand in the face of a lived experience in the context of the Christian community. And maybe it does, but maybe it doesn't. And maybe then you believe. Maybe. Bring your doubts. Now, in order for us to, to be a place where it's, it's truly safe, whether you're a Christian or kind of an ardent unbeliever, to be open about the things you're struggling, the questions you have, and the doubts that you have, it means that this community needs to resolve to, to always be about certain things so that we, we are faithful in being the kind of place Jesus meant to create, where it's safe to bring these things. And so I want to share just a handful of those things with you this morning, things that we as a community of faith need to always prioritize. Uh, and the first is that whenever we gather, we must always confess our collective sin and our individual need for mercy and grace. 
You've probably noticed that, that every time we gather like this, we walk through some kind of confession. It's not merely because it's habit. We believe that we are all better off because of it. We are better off when we confess our mistakes and our hurts and our hang-ups because we believe that God promises to announce mercy to us every time we do it. Like, no matter what you bring into this place, no matter what you confess, God promises to always meet it with mercy, saying, yeah, you're forgiven. Even this, yeah, even that, you're forgiven. But also, the reason we do this is because every time we gather, when we confess, it is the great equalizer. It reminds us that we are all the same. You may have more money than me. You may be less successful than me. You may live differently than me, think differently than me. I may know more than you. You may know more than me. But when we sit here together, when we watch together, and we confess together that we are broken, bad, without hope, apart from Jesus, it makes all of us the same. And the confession reminds us of that. It, it restores our equal footing under the banner of grace. That's why we do it. So to be a safe place for people to bring their need for grace and bring their questions, we have to constantly confess. Second thing, and this is harder, we must continue to create communities apart from Sunday morning where we can gather and experience true Christian community. And what I mean by that is we can experience gathering with other believers and non-believers and talking about our worries, our fears, our doubts, our questions, the issues we have in our life, and then experiencing the otherworldly joy of having the other people not reject us at that table. That is true Christian community, where you can sit at a table, at a Bible study, at a Christian gathering, and you can say, here's who I, re like, here's who I really am. And, and nobody's wearing a mask, they've taken their masks off, and people see the real you, and you're like, I have serious doubts about this, or I fundamentally disagree with the church about this, or I've got this whole truckload of crazy in my life, and I'm about ready to dump it on this table. Like, like you, can, you can be honest about all of that, and the people there aren't going to be like, well, put, put, some, put a mask back on, please. Now, now I'll be honest, this is something we, we can work on, St. Mark. We need to create these forms because a lot of them got dismantled because of COVID. But as we start to get back together and build them again, we need to make sure we build them the right way. We have the opportunity to build them the right way because the church, the local church, is at its worst when it builds these tables. And we've done this in the past. We build these tables and we keep wearing our masks. And the Christian church can be as disingenuous and uninviting as any other community in the world. It can be yet another place where people gather under the banner of grace, yet they insist on wearing their masks and they compare to see whose who's is painted better. And we have to ensure that we're not going to do that. Will you bring your true self to whatever table you're sitting at? You have to make that decision. And will you be a safe person when somebody else brings their true self? Will you love them? Will you speak truth to them? But will you stay at the table and not abandon them? Will you make it okay for them to be there? to really be there. That's on you. That's on me. We have to decide that today. And the third thing, the third piece, is that we have to commit, we have to resolve to be a community of profound acceptance. Do we have things that we believe that the rest of the world disagrees with? We do. Uh, do, we have, do we have practices that are strange in the eyes of the rest of the world that we're never going to change? We do. Do we hold to truths that the rest of the world is confused by? Truths that we are never going to compromise on? We do. And yet, it is up to us to be a community that, though we hold to these things, creates 
creates an atmosphere of profound acceptance where anybody can walk into this place and they can feel seen, they can feel wanted, and even though they know that as they sit down, they believe differently than you, they live differently than you, they think differently than you, they vote differently than you, they are wanted there and accepted there by you. And, and, and that flows back to me and the atmosphere I create from up here, but my goodness, it, it is a thousand times more important the atmosphere that you create out there and the million little things that you do to make sure that when someone walks in this door and they are, they're doing what Jesus asks them to do, which is bring their real self, that when they bring their real self through these doors, you are not the reason that they turn and walk away. That when they sit their real self in your pew, every little message you send says, I see you, I'm glad you're here, and you belong. And if, and if you are sitting here, if you ever find yourself sitting here or a part of our community and you are getting any other message, if you, are feel, if you feel as though there are people here who push you away, who, who, who when you sit down in their pew and you're, and you're an appropriate six feet from them, they slide another seven or eight, if you feel like you are excluded, if you feel like as though, though it is not safe for you to be, be sharing your questions, your doubts, and your struggles, you come find me. And I will be the first person to fight for, for your place of priority and privilege in this community. I'll be the first person to fight for the fact that you belong in these pews as much as anybody else. Because if this church is not for you, then it's not for any of us. We have to resolve to be a place where we're constantly confessing. It levels the playing ground. We have communities of real Christian community. People can be honest and you don't leave the table. And where there is profound acceptance, though there are unchangeable truths. That's what we have to resolve to be. The community of Jesus is meant to be a community of incredible freedom. N not freedom in the sense that everybody gets to do what they want, but freedom in the sense that, that Jesus creates this community and we celebrate when we gather the fact that, that it operates unlike any other community in the world. We, we don't have to be so tall to ride the ride. We don't have to have a certain resume to belong. No, we can belong before we even believe. Did you know that? that we can be a part of this place and experience the freedom of saying, I don't have to bring anything to Jesus, and yet I get, I get everything. The, the only entrance fee to Jesus' community is you bringing nothing. Nothing but your need. Here's how Jesus closes this section of prayer and teaching. He says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus did not say, come to me when you've got it all figured out. Come to me when you feel ready to, to fit in along with everybody else. He says, come to me with your burden. Come to me with your struggle. Come to me as you are with your questions, with them. 
I'll close with this. When I was in college, uh, one of my friends was a, a kid named Chad. And uh, he was known in, in our circle of friends as the, the angry atheist shirtless drummer. And he actually came to faith because we invited him to be a part of our music ministry at the church that I was serving at at the time. And um, uh, however, he was not a believer when he started playing music with us. And, and, we, and we, we had some, some mutual things we had to agree upon. He, he walked in the door that first Sunday and he was like, look, I'll play music with you, but you, you can't try to convert me. And we were like, cool, we have some things too. Like, um, you can be a non-believing drummer, but you have to wear a shirt. And he was like, deal. So he wore a shirt. We didn't press too hard on Jesus. And yet, he became a believer. He became a believer because we loved him and we welcomed him and we just kind of shared life with him even before he believed. And then later on, he was sharing with me how he was trying to invite a, a friend from college to church once he'd become a believer. And, and this girl had every reason in her mind not to show up. She said, I don't agree with the church's teaching on this. I have a struggle with this particular issue uh, in the local church. And besides, I, I'm all about this thing, and I'm indulging in that thing, and I know that the church has problems with all those things. So thanks, but no thanks. And then Chad shared with me what his response was to her. He looked at her, and he said, that's okay, you can bring all those things. Bring all those things and and just learn about who Jesus is, and God will deal with all those other things later. And it, it was so wise for someone who was so new to the faith, and it reminded me of, of, of Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, come to me. Just, just come to me with your burdens, with your questions, with your doubts. Just come to me. And I asked him, I said, how did you know to say that to her? That she can bring all those things. How did you know to say that to her? And he, he looked at me and he said, because that's what you guys did to me. You said, come, and just... Bring all the stuff you're, you're wrestling with and bring it with you and just be with us. And we're going to trust that Jesus will answer questions and deal with issues. Just be with us. There is, my friends, a, a belief that there are lots of unspoken rules that we all need to adhere to in order to be functional adults. But thanks be to God that the church is not a place for functional adults. It's a place for toddlers and strugglers and broken ones and doubting ones. May we, St. Mark, may we always be a place where it's okay to be who you actually are. Someone with questions. Someone with doubts. Someone with a deep need for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you have revealed the message of mercy to people such as us. Because we know that we're the only kind of people that exist. People who are in desperate need of, of your love and your guidance and your help and your mercy. But Father, help us to offer to the world what you have offered to us. You have offered us welcome into your family, bringing nothing accept our burdens and our pains and our struggles. Father, help us to create a community in our homes, in our workplace, in our individual interactions with friends, and certainly as a gathered corporate church, help us to create a community where we create the same environment with others that you have offered to us. May we be safe people, a safe place for every single toddler among us.
In Jesus' name, amen.